Okay, all right, never mind. <laughs> I'll tell you later then. <laughs> Amen. Uh, don't, uh, don't forget, we were going to, I'll make this announcement, I forgot to say anything a while ago, but uh, uh, I'll save the other for Sunday. I'll keep you on your toes. Anyways, uh, I know y'all like that, but uh, anyways, so um, we were, Brother Wade had made mention on Sunday we were going to have Fingerfoots tonight and hang out for a little bit after the service. We're going to do that next, which y'all got the calls, I'm sure, but we're going to do that next Wednesday, all right? Uh, it's just so many people out sick, so many people weren't going to be able to be here, and so uh, just decided to uh, postpone that uh, so uh, everybody that wanted to could be there. So uh, that'll be next Wednesday night. That'll be the first after the service. We'll have a good time of fellowship that night. All right, Matthew chapter 7 tonight. Matthew chapter number 7. We'll just go ahead and get into this and uh, see what the Lord has for us tonight. Matthew chapter number 7. And um, this is going to be a little bit different than uh, what we have done, and um, <clears throat> be a little bit different series, a little bit different study than what we've done, and um, I'm going to use one verse here as a springboard, and pretty much uh, uh, the entire series is based off of this one uh, verse of Scripture, and honestly, we're going to get into the Word a whole lot as we get into this series, uh, because I'll be bringing out what certain religions and certain cults and things believe about something, and we'll be looking into what the Word of God actually has to say about it. But uh, tonight, we're really not going to have uh, a lot of Scripture, and that's where I'm saying that it's going to be a lot different. Um, normally, we take a book, and we'll just go line upon line, but uh, this is a little bit different, and so uh, the series that we're starting tonight, but I believe that it is necessary. I believe that it is something that we uh, need to know, and uh, it, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you, it'll be a help to you, um, it, it will be more of a, um, I guess you could say an academic kind of thing, um, instead of just a Bible study, and so uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15, uh, the Bible tells us here, it says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And uh, I tell you, there's a profound warning in that verse right there. And uh, Jesus urges all who hear his words to beware the false prophet. And so uh, this word beware, it has to do with uh, paying attention, being cautious, being aware, and uh, you can see, you can, you can feel the sense of urgency in his voice. Jesus knew the danger associated with false prophets and the consequences thereof, and uh, these these false prophets they they sought to replace the truth of God with a cheap counterfeit, one that pleased men and their passions. Now, what this tells us is that a counterfeit is nothing new. 
And the wolf wearing the sheep's clothing is nothing new. And if we look back over church history, it reveals the truth of this statement made in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. And of course, the one behind all of this is none other than Satan himself. He knows that he cannot defeat God, but he's a master at the counterfeit. Everything that God has, and I do mean everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit for it. You want to talk about the Holy Spirit? There's a counterfeit. You want to talk about salvation? There's a counterfeit. You want to talk about a born-again experience? There's a counterfeit for that. You want to talk about uh, you want to talk about the Trinity? There's a counterfeit. Everything that we have, uh, as a matter of fact, you ever thought about this? Uh, now, if you're born again tonight, you're inhabited by the, the Holy Spirit of God. Is that not correct? It is through and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we uh, are able to live the Christian life. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, these traits that we are to exemplify in our lives if we are walking in the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit. Well, the devil has the counterfeit of, I mean, I got to say this because it's October and it's, you know, the world is is doing all of its uh, celebration of Halloween. But you think the very life of a believer and then look at someone who is demonically possessed. It's an exact counterfeit of what the person's supposed to have with the Holy Spirit. Instead, they are inhabited by an evil spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And so you think about that. Everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit for it. And Satan knows exactly how to make what is wrong look very close to being right. As a matter of fact, something I'll never forget is I read from C.H. Spurgeon one day, he said this, discernment is not the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. And you know, Satan knows how to make something wrong look almost right, and he knows how to make it attractive to the eye of the beholder also. You know, you you just think back to what Satan did in the Garden of Eden uh, when he tempted Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, Satan doesn't go on a full frontal assault. He's subtle. Genesis 3.1 tells us that he is more clever, more cunning. The Bible uses the word uh, subtil. And that's what the Bible tells us that the serpent was. Satan tempted Eve with the same thing he tempts anyone. He, he tempted Eve with the same thing he tempted Jesus with in Matthew chapter 4. What did he do? Well, he tempted her and Jesus and everybody else with what we find in 1 John 2.16. The Bible says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Everything that you find in the world fits into one of those three categories. The lust of the flesh. You think about that with the case of Eve. The Bible says the woman saw that the tree was good for food. It appealed to her flesh. Well, what about the lust of the eyes? Well, the Bible says it was pleasant to the eyes. And then what about the pride of life? Well, it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. 
Now you can pick that out of Eve here in Genesis, but you can also do the same thing in Matthew chapter 4 with the temptation of Jesus. But uh, I'm not going to go over there, but Genesis chapter 3 verse 5 shows us something very interesting. Here's what it says. This is the serpent talking to Eve. He said, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now that's interesting, because inside every man there is a desire to know God and to become like Him. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. You know why? Because there is an incompleteness of sorts in us that only God can feel. As a matter of fact, Colossians 2.10 says, And ye are complete in Him. That means without Him, we are incomplete. And we are longing and looking for that completeness. The only problem is most people are looking for it in the wrong places. Eve was looking for it in the wrong place. And that's how people are today. Now, here's the thing. There is a proper way to find our completeness in God. And that is by and through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. But Satan, in all of his deceitfulness and all of his deceptiveness, offers humanity many false hopes when it comes to knowing God and becoming like God. Brother Tom Brennan, who's done an exhaustive study on cults, and of which I'll be borrowing from uh, some studies he's done for this series, he wrote this, he said, If the devil can get them to swallow the false, they will no longer feel an appetite for the truth. Yeah. One of the ways that Satan does this is by dressing up a false religion to look like, the, look like the real thing. He makes them attractive. He makes them similar, at least from a distance. It's through these false religions that the devil has led, is leading, and will lead many, many, many people straight to hell. Now, it would be impossible to study all of the false religions or cults in the whole world, but there are some that we do need to know about because they're popular, they're all around us, and some have probably even deceived our family and our friends. Now think about this verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, tells us that many are even aimed right at us. It's interesting. The Bible says, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's an interesting verse. As believers, we are to equip ourselves with knowledge so that we can protect ourselves, so that we can protect our friends, so we can protect our loved ones and help guide others into the truth. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so this is where we begin our study tonight. And uh, like I said, this is going to be something quite different than anything we've done over the past few years. And uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun. I, I hope that it's helpful to you. I hope it's a blessing. And uh, I hope nobody gets bored. You shouldn't get bored. I'm just picking. <laughs> Anyways, so let's start right here. What exactly is a cult? I mentioned that we were going to start a Bible study series on cults. 
And uh, I'm really uh, going to blend all of this together, cults and false religions. You're going to hear me talk about some false religions, and you're going to hear me talk about some flat-out cults. See, there's cults. Uh, there, there's three categories that you find here. You find uh, just a flat-out cult, which I'll talk about. And then you'll find out uh, you'll have a religious cult or a religious movement and uh, they stick around long enough to, uh, to kind of form their own religion, but at its core, it's nothing but a cult. Hello, Mormons. Anyways, we'll keep talking about that in a minute. And then, uh, so here's the thing. What exactly is a cult, though? Well, the greatest authority on cults in our lifetime, uh, which he's gone now, the late Dr. Walter Martin, he, he wrote a book a while back, it's in several printings, it's called The Kingdom of the Cults, it is massive. And he is the, uh, the expert, so to speak, on cults and false religions. And uh, it's a great book, it's very thorough. As a matter of fact, it, it'd probably take most of us around 27, 28 hours to read uh, that book, but he wrote a book called uh, The Kingdom of the Cults. And here's what he described a cult as. He described a cult as, quote, a group of people gathered around a specific person's misinterpretation of the Bible. That's probably the most accurate definition I have seen out there. And I'm going to borrow, uh, I'm going to borrow from Brother Ronnie Simpson's curriculum on cults used at Macedonia Baptist College where I go to uh, school at. And uh, I'm going to give you some examples here that prove this definition is true. Now, uh, Walter Martin said a group of people gathered around a specific person's misinterpretation of the Bible. So here's the thing. Who do we follow? Jesus, right? Christianity. I follow Jesus. His teachings are in the word of God. All right, so uh, let's, uh, let's look at this. Uh, I'm going to give you some examples here. Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't follow Jesus. You know what they follow? They follow the interpretations of Charles T. Russell and J.F. Rutherford. All right, Christian scientists, they don't follow the Bible. They follow the interpretations uh, of Mary Baker Eddy. Mormons adhere to those interpretations found in the writings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. The People's Church, y'all remember the People's Church back in the 70s? Uh, they, uh, they followed the teachings of Jim Jones. Uh, everybody remember... Uh, um, uh, down in Texas, the Branch Davidians, back in, uh, what was that, the 90s? They followed the teachings of David Koresh. And uh, you know what all those people were? And every one of them I just mentioned, they were just people that seemed to have all the right answers. That's all that they were. And it's been alleged, I'll go ahead and get past this in case it might help somebody. But it's been alleged that Christianity is a cult. You know why they allege Christianity being a cult? Because it's built around the man, Jesus Christ, and his teachings. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? You're like, where are you going with this? Let me tell you, though, the only difference, let me go ahead and let me just, let me just throw this out there for you. You know what the difference between Christianity and a cult is? The only difference is that Jesus Christ can be correctly interpreted by the laws of hermeneutics. That's the only difference. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me tell you. And I, I don't want to get, this is what I'm talking about. This is more academic than what we're used to, but 
I really feel like we need to know this. But hermeneutics, if you don't know what that word is, it's a $5 word. But it's the theory and the methodology of interpretation. It's how we study and interpret biblical texts. Okay? Now, when you look into the Bible, we find regarding this man, Jesus Christ, we find that Bible prophecy described his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, thousands of years before he was born. Now, we know he existed, don't we? Where did he start? Where was his beginning? He's always been. He's in Genesis 1. He's part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's always been. But here's the thing. We find it written and and talked about and explained throughout Bible prophecy. Let me tell you this. Over 162 prophecies were fulfilled to the detail concerning or during his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. 162 Bible prophecies were fulfilled. Let me give you something else. Biblical proof that doesn't contradict Jesus' life proves that he was the true Messiah. All of these other guys, you think about, you think about Manson. You think about, there's, there's guys even today, they call themselves the Messiah. They have people, their followers believe. You take Jim Jones back in the 70s. You take all these, they put all of their faith, not in Jesus, but in the teachings of a person, a man. On what authority does that person, what authority does, does Joseph Smith have? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in just a second. But we're talking about Jesus. When it comes to Christianity, we're following Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who was predicted and prophesied thousands of years before He ever existed on this earth. Sometimes I feel like i got to be a lawyer and speak in detail so nobody takes me out of context. (laughs) Oh, Ask my wife how fun that is. I give too many details, she says. So here's the thing. Let's go over some similarities that all cults have. Outwardly, they all profess to be different. Okay, Jehovah's Witnesses, they stress eschatology and prophecy. Mormons stress priestly authority, secret rituals and symbols. Uh, Christian scientists stress metaphysical pantheism. And what that is, is that's a study of the universe that teaches that God and the universe are the same and one. And then they also focus on physical healing. Now, that's outwardly, they all profess to be something different. But inwardly, they all have the same psychological characteristics. Here's what they are. They all emphasize eschatology and prophecy. You see, psychologically, they play on people's fears. Is the world a threatening place or is it an accepting place? Uh, These basic, and and there are are basic fears and needs. Everybody has a fear of the unknown, don't they? Let me just get real for a minute. Everyone has a need of being accepted, don't they? And the cults play on people's fear and their needs. Here's the second thing they all do. They all emphasize authority. 
Since humans have a basic need of having someone in authority over them, the cults thrive in meeting this need. The scripture tells us, Isaiah 53, 6, that all we like sheep have gone astray. Why have we gone astray? Because we need a leader. We all need to be guided in the truth. And guess who guides us in the truth? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us. And so it's natural that people need authority. It's natural that people need guidance. But the big question is tonight, whose authority is a person willing to accept in matters pertaining to the functions of life? The Bible is the only authority. Amen? What is my authority for life? It's right here. It's not anybody else. It's not the pastor. It's not uh, the, the government. It's not my best friend. It's the Word of God. And so the Bible is the only authority. But here's the thing. A cult leader can misinterpret the Bible and deceive the individual. Here's the third thing. They all emphasize control of the family life. Why is this? Well, because of the breakup of the home, because of the breakup of marriage. Here's the thing. People are seeking answers. And they're looking everywhere but right here. It's sad. So here's something else talking about similarities of cults. Cults have the same doctrinal characteristics. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's several things. Doctrine wise. I'm not talking about Bible doctrine, okay? I'm just talking about core. Doctrine is a core belief. It is a, it, it's non-negotiable, okay? If you're going to have a cult, you're going to have this, this stuff I'm getting ready to give you. They have the same doctrinal characteristics. Number one, they all have closed-mindedness. In other words, they are not interested in the facts. They believe what they believe, and it doesn't matter whether or not you can prove them wrong, they believe what they believe and they're going to hang on to it till they die. Their doctrine is stated as truth and oftentimes, most of the time, it's backed by a scripture taken out of context or by an announcement of its founder who is considered having infallible truth even though it contradicts the right interpretation. Oh, and I thought about something the other night. I was watching something. I was watching Benny Hinn. You know, he was in a church the other night. They were honoring him. You know what those people are doing that follow Benny Hinn? They're following a cult. They're a cult. Do you know what they were doing the other night? They were honoring him. And you know, I guess guess because it's pastor appreciation, I guess they do the same thing. I don't know. But here's what they were referring to him as Father. Yeah. Their doctrine is stated as truth and backed by a scripture taken out of context or by an announcement of its founder who is claimed and considered to have infallible truth even though it contradicts the right interpretation. You see that all over the place. You see it all over the place. Hey, many of us... I'm going to get in trouble. Many of our good Baptist churches around, even in Surrey County, you know who they're following? They're following the guy behind the pulpit. 
The problem with following a man is what if he's wrong? That's why I tell you, don't follow me. Go home and make sure I'm telling you the right thing. Yeah. Close-mindedness is number one. Number two is antagonism. Antagonism. This usually is antagonism over personalities rather than Bible doctrine. Since the cultist almost always identifies his dislike of the Christian message with the messenger who holds such opposing beliefs. The average cultist believes anyone who attacks his doctrine is attacking him personally. I've been attacked several times verbally about what I preach. I don't take no offense. You're going against God. Because I just gave you the message. I got the message from his word. I told a man that one day. I said, look, man. I went, I went back to Exodus. Showed him there where God told Moses. Moses was going through and the people, the children of Israel. They did. He, he, what God telling? God told him, they don't reject you. They're rejecting me. That's dangerous. And I don't say that to bring anything of myself. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just the middle man. And see, that works both ways. I don't want you following me. I want you following God because I'm pointing you in the right direction with His Word. I hope that makes sense. You, I mean, you tack something I say in a message... It's not personal. But now with a cultist, it'll be personal. You know why? Because it is his doctrine. He didn't get it from here. He didn't get it from nowhere else. Does that make sense? I say that a lot, don't I? I I'm just I'm, I'm second guessing. I, I just want to make sure. If you're nodding your heads, we're good, okay? Here's the third thing. Isolationism. Isolationism. Isolation. I got something in my mouth, sorry. <laughs> Isolationism is one of the most powerful mental and emotional chains with which the cultist can enslave his disciple. Well, what does it mean? They take him away from anybody and everybody and everything. They get him alone. Sometimes that, I mean, being in isolation is a good thing. Sometimes you need to get away from everybody. You need to get along with God. But that's not why they're using isolationism when it comes to a cult. Let me, let me show you this. If the tragedy of Jonestown on November 18, 1978, when over 900 cult followers of Jim Jones committed forced suicide, has taught us anything, it's taught us the despair of isolationism of the cultist. The following quote I'm, I'm going to read to you will illustrate this perfectly. It's taken from the book called People's Temple, People's Tomb, written by Phil Kearns and Doug uh, Weed back in the 70s. Here's what it said. A sealed note found on the cult commander's body, apparently written by a follower just prior to the ritual suicide, gave additional credence to this theory. Quote, Dad, the note said. This is from one of his followers. It wasn't from his son. They said, Dad, I see no way out. I agree with your decision. I fear only that without you, the world may not make it to communism. For my part, I am more than tired of this wretched, merciless planet and the hell it holds for so many masses of beautiful people. 
Thank you for the only life I've known. Now, something interesting about the People's Temple. It was not full of a bunch of idiots. Jim Jones had to have money. He loved money. He targeted people that were successful business people. Successful people in life. People that had plenty of money. They had great jobs. They had massive amounts of wealth. And he brainwashed them. And isolated them to the point where they committed suicide because he told them to. I just wanted to make that point because a lot of people think you look at Heaven's Gate cult from the 90s there, right around 2000, the ones that drank the Kool-Aid and they thought that they were going to go on a... They literally believed they were aliens. And that they were not made for this planet. And at that time, there was a spaceship that was going to pass by. It was going to be on a comet that was going to come through the earth that night. And they were going to hitch a ride on that spaceship that was hidden by the comet and go to heaven. They were not dumb people. We often think, well, these people must be crazy. They, they just, they just, they, they must not have, they, I don't know how to put it. I guess we think, well, maybe their, their elevator don't go all the way to the top floor. Y'all know, y'all know what I'm saying? I don't want to be ugly, but I don't know any other way to explain it. We think those things. But that's not how these people were. And I tell you that because it shows how powerful the manipulation, the isolation, the... Mm. Let me move on. Here's a fourth thing. Fourth thing. Let me, let, me, let me go back and review for a second. They all have closed-mindedness. They all have antagonism. They all have isolationism. Here's the fourth thing they all share in common. Institutional dogmatism. Now what's that mean? That's a fancy way of saying they have no tolerance at all for any other position than their own or than their leaders. You cannot rationalize with them. You cannot talk to them. You can't deal with them. Here's the fifth thing that they all have in common. Every false religion. Every false religion, every false, every cult Extra-biblical revelations. Yeah. This NAR movement, which I've preached on and I've told you about, we've had class in Sunday school about the NAR movement, like Bethel Church out in Redding, California. They are a cult. But preacher, they talk about preaching in the Holy Spirit and being anointed. They are a cult. Anybody gets up in a pulpit and, and, and says, well, uh, uh, you know, I'm talking about extra biblical revelations. This Bible is it, y'all. That's what we've got. This is what we have. We don't have anything else. The Bible tells us we have nothing else. We have the words of Christ. We have the New Testament. We have the 66 books that were written under inspiration of God Almighty Himself. We need nothing else. But a cult will always have extra biblical revelations. Let me, let me go through this and we'll be done. Let's think about Mormons for a second. They have the Book of Mormon. 
And let me tell you what their website says about the Book of Mormon. I almost became a Mormon today. I'm joking. I'm joking. Well, they sell it really good. I almost put my name and address in there so they could come have a house study with me. And I almost did it. I almost did it just because I thought this could be fun. And then I thought, no, they'll just turn around and walk out. (laughs) But here's what their website says, okay? The Book of Mormon is a book of inspired inspired scripture that exists to give us direction in our lives and connect us to Jesus. Where does the name come from? Well, hundreds of years ago in the ancient Americas, a prophet named Mormon compiled a record of his people. They faced a lot of the same challenges that we do. And just like us, they found strength when they turned to Jesus Christ. Now here's what's interesting about that claim. The Book of Mormon was written in 1830 by Joseph Smith Jr. And there is no archaeological evidence whatsoever of the Jaredite people described in the Book of Mormon that is accepted. No evidence whatsoever that is accepted by mainstream archaeologists that they ever even existed. It's interesting. You go look up all the archaeological, the archaeological evidence. I, I'm, I'm bad with all that. I've, I've said too many $5 words tonight. You go look at the evidence for what's written in here. Go to Israel. Go to the places that are talked about in here. Go, <laughs> go over the Middle East where they think Sodom and Gomorrah would have been, you know why they think it may be there? There's little balls of sulfur that are coming out. They're washing out of the... mm. They have no evidence, they have no reason whatsoever that there would be any sulfur in that area because there's no volcanoes in that area. The only place where these things exist worldwide is in places where there's volcanoes. Well, there ain't no volcanoes over there. Why is there balls of sulfur being washed up on the seashore by the waters there? I don't know. Maybe it's because this is real. Right? Go look at what they've uncovered of the city of Petra. Look at what they've uncovered. uh, I mean, there it is. Nobody, let me tell you something, you will not find anybody that knows anything about history, that knows anything about archaeology, that will tell you that Jesus Christ did not exist. It's too much evidence. But where's the evidence that Mormon existed? Where's the evidence that, I mean, does that make sense? I'm just being practical here. So they go on to say this. Remember, remember, here's the other, th- the fifth thing they all share in common, extra biblical revelations. That means they got to go outside this book for what they teach, okay? They go on to say this, the Book of Mormon is meant to be read alongside the Bible as another testament of Jesus Christ and His divine mission as the Savior and Redeemer of the world. Together, the Bible and the Book of Mormon provide more understanding of God's great love for all of us and can help us come closer to Him. I just got done teaching through 1 John. 
per- I think the Bible is pretty clear on God's love for us, isn't it? It's pretty clear on what Jesus did for us, isn't it? Why do we need an extra biblical revelation? We don't, is the truth. <coughs> but yet they all have one. Think about Jehovah's Witnesses. Charles T. Russell boldly claimed that his writings were indispensable to the study of the Bible for Jehovah's Witnesses. And that to study the Bible apart from his inspired comments was to go into spiritual darkness. In other words, they don't have anything like the Book of Mormon, but they have the teachings (coughs) of their main man. So in other words, it's like you can only interpret Scripture through him. You know who else does that? Roman Catholics. Pretty wild. You know who else does that? There's some Baptist churches that do that mess. It's crazy. What about Christian science? Mary, Eddy, Mary Baker Eddy also conformed to this pattern by requiring her followers to read her book Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures as a divine revelation. She spoke of her religion as, quote, higher, clearer, and more permanent revelation than ever before. As a matter of fact, one of the things she talked about extensively in that book, Science and Health with Key to Scriptures, uh, had all sorts of things to do with turning away from doctors, not taking medicine. We don't need any of this. But yet when it was time for her to get sick, she would use medicine. She would go to the doctor's. She would use anesthetic. I won't go into all the details with that, but that goes back to my other point at the beginning about Jesus Christ being different. Jesus Christ, his actions never contradicted his word. Now I know we study the Bible. This is church. We don't go outside. But I'll just put it this way. You can read about Jesus in the works of Josephus. You can read about Jesus in all sorts of historical works coming out of Greece and, and, and Rome of that day and all of those. Cl- they do not, not one, contradict what we find in the Bible. In other words, Jesus didn't walk around and tell people, okay, your faith is enough. If you are sick, you need to have more faith. Your faith is not strong enough. If you can't be... No, we don't, we don't have that. And then see, Jesus turn around and take medicine. But you do find that with people like Mary Eddie Baker, Mary Baker Eddie. You find that with people like Benny Hinn. Remember I told you what he was doing the other week? He, he, was, he was commanding his gray hair to turn black. And it turned black right in front of his eyes. That's what he said. No, that was Kenneth Copeland, my bad. I can't credit Benny Hinn with that. That was Kenneth Copeland. Do you remember what I said, though? He was commanding his gray hair to turn black, and it turned black right in front of him because he's got power over that. But then six minutes later into the sermon, he's talking about getting a pacemaker. (laughs) You know what that is? That's a contradiction of his teaching. Never trust a... I mean, Bill Johnson... Bethel Church, right in California. He says that God can heal. And, and, and God can heal, but he says he can heal. And they, uh, 
They spent, they spent weeks praying over a dead baby, trying to get it to come back to life and commanding it to come back to life. But you know what? It didn't come back to life. You know why? Because they have no power over that. But I knew something was up with him the first time I saw him and uh, preaching and he wears glasses like, just like I do. And I'm going to tell you something. As a person that wears glasses, if I had any control over my eyes, I would throw these things away in a heartbeat because they're annoying. Y'all wearing glasses? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? They get in. They get in. I mean, they're in the way all the time. I'll get under a crawl space and they start fogging up if I start huffing and puffing. That's annoying. Then if I take them off, I can't see nothing. Then if I put them back on, I can't see nothing because they get foggy. It's annoying. If I had the power to heal my eyes and give myself 20-20 vision, don't you think I'd do it? But yet he wears glasses. Why? Because he ain't got the power to do that. But yet they're going to stand on a stage and tell people if you'll just have stronger faith, if you'll just grow your faith, if you'll do this, and if you'll do, and these people just go on. You know why? Because they are so stuck in the ways of their cult leaders that they can't reason. Benny Hinn, he will. I, was, I mean, oh. it, it amazes me. They can be on stage and absolute. They have been exposed time, 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 and time again. Benny Hinn's been exposed more than any of them. He healed. He was caught on video healing a man and, and taking crutch. Literally, this is what happened. People fill the auditorium. He walked down on one. <laughs> it's amazing. It just blows my mind. Because he walks down and he starts speaking in tongues. And he touches this guy. He says, you don't need them crutches. He's got crutches sitting next to him. He said, you don't need those crutches anymore. Get up and walk. The guy gets up and he stands up and everybody's like, hey. Benny Hinn tells him, he goes, run, run up and down the aisle. He goes running up and down the aisle. This was back in the 80s. On the way out, there was a news crew that caught him and said, so how long have you had your crutches? He's like, I, I, don't, I don't have crutches. They belong, the crutches belong to the ladies sitting beside of this guy. Y'all following me on this? This guy tells the news media, he's like, I, 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 my legs are fine. I ain't never had a hard time. And one of them said, well, why didn't you say that? Instead of, he was like, I just thought it was cool. I was doing what the man told me to do. It's Benny Hinn. And yeah, look, he's got more followers today than he ever has. Kenneth Copeland knocked a guy in the head that was shaking like crazy in a wheelchair not long ago. Knocked him in the head and uh, told him he was healed. Instead of getting up, he fell over in his chair and the men had to get him back up. And, and Kenneth Copeland just kept on walking down the aisle and went to the next poor uh, uns, you know, unsuspecting person there that thinks he's got some kind of special, uh, special power to heal him. And uh, there, there was, there, I mean, when he couldn't do nothing with him, he just ignored him. Left him laying in the ground. He was a cripple man. And yet he's got more followers today than he ever has. Why? Because people drink the Kool-Aid. And I did mean that pun. Well, I've already laid some foundation tonight. So what we're going to do next week, Lord willing, is take a deeper look into recognizing a false religion or a cult.
I've already given you the similarities, but we're going to dig deeper into that. We're going to look at how they go against Scripture. And I can never stress this enough. You want to know how to spot something that's wrong? Know the truth. Know the truth. If you don't know the truth, then you're going to, you're going to fall for anything that comes by. Because you don't know what to believe. And that's what our problem is in our day. People don't know what to believe. The devil has done such a good job tearing down the authority of this word. I don't see him attacking the Book of Mormon like they do the Bible, do y'all? I don't see him attacking the Satanic Bible like they do the Word of God, do y'all? You want to know what the difference is? I don't, I don't see people attacking cults like they do Christians. You know why? The truth. We need to know the truth. And so hopefully through this series, we're, we'll talk about what some of these religions and cults and get into Islam and Hindu and everything else and probably get me kicked off of YouTube. But that's okay. We need to know. We will not be silenced. The days are almost up. We need to be ready to go. Let's stand by our heads, close our eyes tonight. I'm done. Miss Dawn, come play softly for us.